And hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the inside of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And yeah, guys, I, I know, I know. I'm very up close today at the camera. Uh, the reason why is, for, for those that don't know, uh, my new job over there at Lockdown requires me to be more up close and personal with all of you. So for better or worse, this is what you're going to get here. Um, but we got a lot to go on here today, here on 12-Ounce Sports, whether you watch us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Zingo TV, Channel 761. We have preseason hockey starting up tonight, guys, and probably realized I should probably turn my mic on. <laughs> my mic was off there on the video stream. Uh, if you want to catch my great intro, catch us on the Kula Show on your favorite YouTube channel, but it's okay. Uh, you just heard me ramble on for nonsense. It's okay. It's probably for the best, let's be honest. Here on 12-Ounce Sports, like I said, on YouTube Facebook, Twitter, and Zingo TV. We have a lot to get to, like I said, preseason nonsense, including some stuff overseas. With that, I need to bring in a gentleman that we've had on so many times before. He is the, I guess we can say the goaltender of the five-timers club, if we were an actual beer league team. But let's be honest, kids, if he was playing beer league, apparently he's getting his teeth knocked out. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, Cody Jansen. Cody, how are we doing today? I don't want to talk about teeth. That's the last thing we need to talk about. Oh, my goodness. But I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Can we just say the fact that you got your teeth knocked out, apparently, and you are still working today because Cody, like me, has a job where he talks to get, you know, he talks for a living. How does it feel talking today, Cody? Oh, it's weird. It's weird. So, like, last night, got my two front teeth caved into the boards playing beer league. This morning, woke up at seven, walked to the dentist, said, I need to get in. Like, what, do, what is it going to take for me to get in? Worked out uh, a nice little deal there. They were good. They were they're very helpful. And so got a couple of new teeth put in this morning. The freezing seems to be numbing off. Still in pain, but we're grinding through. And yeah, I mean, here we are. We're talking hockey. That is that is probably for the best. And I, I tell you, I well... The reason why I haven't probably played beer league in a long time, one, because of COVID, two, because the month before my wedding, Cody, similar to you, I guess, I don't know if you just weren't wearing a cage. I don't wear a cage when I skate out. Went hard to the net. Guy tried to lift my stick, missed the stick, got my giblets. Thankfully, I didn't have any teeth get knocked out, but I had a nice big cut right beneath my nose. And uh, the wife wasn't too pleased with that. <laughs> oh, no. I, I mean, yeah, it's engaged a week and a half ago I, I mean luckily my fiance is not mad about it but it was not pretty and again it's one of those weird ones like yeah i wear a visor but like who expects to be hidden beer league right like i float around all a game couple of points no big deal how are you second period buddy just decides to be a hero and run me from behind like two feet away from the boards i'm just poking it up and all of a sudden i got a stick in my back just face right into the boards right into the stanchion oh it was it was brutal but whatever that's that's not really grant should have told the guy that uh junior c tryouts were uh, last month eh? um (laughs) it's just pathetic i mean you know you you get it you're playing a decent level of beer league whatever but still i mean we're we're playing an eight o'clock game it's no one i don't know i I got nothing i can't say anything too bad about beer league guys because i do know so many guys who play it and they're awesome they're like great guys you know they're out there for the right reasons and then you get these idiots who are just buzzing around like it's a tryout camp. Oh man, I that's why that's why I used to, I played goal for one for like half a season. I ended up signing on with the team late, and I remember like and I knew the guys and okay, I thought this would be all right, you know, just play a little bit, have some fun. And next thing you know, it's like these guys are the, the guys on my team are like it's game seven, we got to play hard and like lose their minds. I'm like holy cripes, and there's a reason why I haven't done it since. Speaking of stupid craziness. 
Cody. I don't know if you saw this. I know if a lot of you at home saw this. Uh, last night in the Ukraine Hockey League, um, just the I, I don't know how to describe it, Janner. Uh, Andrei Deniskin, who hasn't seen, who have anyone who hasn't seen it yet, go find it online. It's everywhere. Uh, an awful <laughs> racial gesture last yeah. night. What? We, we broke that one on World Hockey Report. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I forgot to say that. World Hockey Report broke it. That's how we found that out. And, um, oh gosh, I forgot to write the kid's name down. He was an Arizona prospect. Cody, help me out here. Sorry, sorry. What was that? Uh, Co- uh, who, uh, who was the, the prospect that was, that was towards our Arizona prospect? Who was the kid? He played, uh, played in the O for oh, Oshawa. Merrick. Yes, Merrick. Yeah. And an awful racial uh, gesture towards him. I, I can't even describe it. I know what it is, but I, I don't have the words for it, Cody. I, I, I listen, I get it. You know, there is the the connotation of, oh, it's just oh, we grew up and whatnot. But how many years is it going to take before we get over that excuse of the fact that that happens in a hockey game to a good player? And like, it's not just you can't just say now it's happens in this country, that country it happens everywhere. It's worldwide, unfortunately. And, and here's my issue with it. And I won't go on too big of a tangent. Obviously, it's a disgusting act and. You know, it's uh, the the biggest issue is this is on TV. This isn't a beer league like Don Bass plays Champions Hockey League. They're playing against the best European teams. You know, there's a lot of former KHL. Like it, it's good hockey. And now for the Ukrainian league, the UHL, Double IHF, to not take a hard stance against this, that's my issue. You can't just go out there and say yes, we acknowledge it was bad. That's what they did. That's pathetic. That's embarrassing. That's a bad look for the game. Well, someone yeah. needs step up. You know. It's not even, I don't know, a proper term for it, but, you know, get some guts and do something about it. Say, hey, you know what? Sure, we're going to do an investigation. Go for it. But place the guy on suspension. Say, hey, he's never going to touch the ice again in another IIHF sanctioned league or event until we figure out what happened here, what get to the bottom of it. And then uh, I'm not. You know, you can say ban him for life. You can you can say whatever. I I know yesterday when I put it in the tweet and, and I commented on it that hey, you know what? What I think is fair, maybe if, if it's not a life suspension, either maybe give him a five year ban and say hey, you have to do 500 hours of community service. You know, working for the league for free. Plus, you got to take courses. You know, prove you've actually changed. You've actually acknowledged your wrongdoings, and that you're going to be a better human being. I'm not saying we got to throw this guy in jail for the rest of his life because I I do agree that second chances are needed in some circumstances. But if the IIHF isn't going to put down their foot on this, then it's just embarrassing. It's a joke, and you can tell how, you know, crooked hockey is, and that's that's why hockey isn't for everyone. Is because stuff like this doesn't get dealt with. If it wasn't for social media, if it wasn't for World Hockey Report, and you know a lot of ex NHLers blowing this up, making this the story that needs to get out there, they would have swept it under the rug. That's the sickening part, Tyler. To me, that's that's my thoughts. It's a tough call here. Luke Tardif, who just got uh, who just elected the new Double IHF president, kind of has his hands full right away after Renee Fassell. Uh, did not run for re-election, more or less stepping down. But Dude, no, this a hard decision though. That's my thing. This oh, is yeah, no, a hard they, they, they gave it. They gave it the we're looking into it stick, which I'm pretty sure all those folks that have been following the Chicago Blackhawks scandal know all too well about that saying. Yeah, this is, I, I, and I get it. The whole Chicago Blackhawks, that is another bundle of Tinder for sure that could light on fire here anytime soon. But this is as blatant as it comes. And for 
So for them to beat around the bush, it's pathetic. It's embarrassing. And you know, I, I, not to say it's not surprising, but I, I just hoped, I hope IHF would do better. I really do. I'm harsh on them to begin with, but this just, it justifies my point. They don't do enough good for the game. Right. I'll give my take a little bit later here, folks, but we only got Janet for a little bit of time. So we're going to quickly move things along. Like I said, if you want to hear me yell on screen, give me about 10 minutes. Uh, Janet, the, the two of the big stories coming into training camp here. One is Jack Jackson Eichel. The, the saga continues, and for some reason, despite everyone's speculations, all the banter whatnot, there seems no end in sight. He fails his physical. What a shocker. Gets his captaincy stripped by the Buffalo Sabres. That's not much of a surprise either. It, the thing is, is that, and apparently according to Elliot Friedman, these are still ongoing conversations with Kevin Adams and other general managers in the league. This is not a thing of, you know, there's no phone calls going into Buffalo right now. This is a constant conversation between Adams and other GMs in this league. The big question, I think, is what do you think? How long do you think this takes? How long until Jack Eichel is either on the ice with the Sabres or with a different team in the NHL? In my opinion, this could be Jack Eichel sitting out for a full year. This could get ugly where Adams, he set his price and he doesn't want to move on it because once you start moving on that, all of a sudden your reputation as a GM becomes flexible. You can be a pushover. And for Jack Eichel's case, I don't think him or his agents are really doing him any favors by waiting this long. They're pushing for their surgery that they want. That's fine. That's their right. But again, Maybe Buffalo just says, hey, if we can't get them to a team on the West Coast where we're not going to have to play them, and if, if a team's not going to pay what we want, maybe we do just let them sit around and say, you know what, it sucks, but we're going to make a statement here. We're going to stick to our guns, and it sucks for hockey. It's bad for the NHL. The NHL's a better place when Jack Eichel's in. He's a phenomenal talent, but I don't see this thing moving anyway. It doesn't seem like either side wants to budge an inch. And proof in the pudding there was they had a meeting. They had a meeting with the agents, with doctors, with the NHL, you know, all the Buffalo Sabres representation. Eichel was there. They sat in a meeting and they couldn't come to a conclusion. That's an issue. This is this is a lot bigger than do they have a suitable trade partner? No, I think this is miles bigger. Well, the big problem that I have with this, well, one problem that I have is the fact that if Jack Eichel had this thing done early enough and had time to recover, he could be in Beijing in February. That's obviously not going to be the case anymore. And now you're looking at, I'm not going to give Eichel the generational talent uh, tag because, well, the guy that was drafted in front of him, he's kind of got that one in the back pocket. But he is a very talented hockey player and could do some good for the team. And at what point does the league step in and say, all right, guys, you need to figure this out or someone someone on this side is going to get actual scrutiny here or someone's going to get penalties towards them based on the fact that you guys aren't trying to help this player get back on the ice. They've tried, though. We talked with Elliot, and, and he said the exact same thing about the meeting, too, was that they tried, the NHL tried to step in. The NHL can't legally impose anything on them. They're under contract. It's you know private business. They both signed off on it. Jack signed off on it. You know, the Pagulas did. They have them under contract. The NHL can't force them to be traded. You know, could they bribe them? Could they try and persuade them? I'm sure they could. Are they going to? I don't think so. I think that, and it sucks for Jack, but I just don't see it happening. 
I don't know who is going to go under their way to trade for a guy who's going to need surgery. He's going to miss the season, likely. You know, it's it's sad right now. It's sad. You feel bad for Jack. You feel bad for the team. But end of the day, they're shooting themselves in the foot, and it's just it's the Buffalo Sabers one hundred and one. It's so hard to look at this, especially for Eichel's side of things, because I mean, because right now the conversation is polar opposites. It's either you know, help Eichel get him back on the ice or some people, not as many, obviously are on the Buffalo Sabres are right. You know, they should be entitled to what they want to do. Unfortunately, there's really no middleman here. Jander, if you, if you were Kevin Adams, if you were the Pagulas, what do you do to try to remedy this? Do you give Eichel the surgery while he's on your team? Or do you just bring down the value of your trade? Because teams realize that if Eichel, if this surgery doesn't go exactly to plan, Eichel's not worth ten million dollars. Exactly, that's that's the big issue. And I, and I know you kind of said he wasn't a generational talent, but if you do think about it, he's a top line player on any team in the league. Oh yeah, and what on his game, I'd say he can be a top ten forward in the league. He's that good. He's that important. So. I don't know. I want to see him in the game. That's that's the bottom line here. I think it's kind of scummy what Buffalo is doing at this point because I mean this isn't a he's not going to be the first person person ever to have that surgery it's not like he is changing the medical field here no his doctors think that this is what's best for him and he's going to listen to the people he trusts not the doctors in Buffalo that's fine I've got no issue with that and if Buffalo isn't comfortable with the surgery I'd prefer they come out and have some actual reasoning not just, you know, that's what our doctors say. Come up with some actual reasoning. That's the issue. That would, I think, a little more transparency would be nice. But transparency in the National Hockey League and this economy, Cody, come on now. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Last one here, Jan, before we let you get back to work over there. Uh, preseason hockey started this past weekend. Obviously, a big win for the Seattle Kraken last night. Didn't play in their, origin, their actual home barn. They're just playing over there, and uh, I believe they played where the Thunderbirds play. Uh, pick up a win over Vancouver last night. Toronto and Montreal play again for the second time. How much stock do you take in preseason hockey? I myself, I don't mind watching it because you get to see the American leaguers or some of the prospects play with the older guys and whatnot. But I, I don't know. I don't get the same kind of amped up. I know obviously it doesn't mean for standings or anything like that. But how much do you look at preseason hockey and, and say this matters and this will translate to the regular season? Zero. Take Zero percent. And here's why, because you look at the lineups between, say, the Oilers and Flames of the Kraken and the Canucks, those guys, I mean, you can probably put 70 to 80 percent of them. They're not going to be on the team. And if we're talking about even actual NHL rosters, top to bottom, you know, one through 20 on the ice in preseason, it's still not going to be the same as regular season hockey. So you can't put that much stock into it. What you can put stock into is game one of the NHL season. And so... You can't exactly earn your full-time spot in the NHL in preseason. You can certainly lose it. That's that, that goes without saying. But again, get the guys into regular season, earn your spot, get yourself on opening night in the lineup. And when you think about a guy like Josh Ho saying, that's what he's got to do these preseason games, because if he can get himself into a regular season game, that's what you're going to value. That's where you're going to take your good, hard look at him and say, is he an NHLer? Is he a guy you want on your team? It's the same thing in Edmonton. If you look at a Tyler at, uh, Tyler Benson, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. is he an NHLer because he had a good preseason game against the Flames rookies? 
Or is he a good NHLer because he earned his way into that fourth line and on opening night he's there and he's effective? I don't know. I don't think you put too much stock into, you know, the 82-game season from a seven-game preseason. That's just me because we're not looking at the same rosters. We're not looking at the same intensity. And frankly, the environments are totally different. See, that's why, like, I don't mind watching the Kraft Hockeyville games, but the one between Toronto and Ottawa and uh, was it Luca Lupin? Uh, Lupin, Ontario, I think it was. And I was like, oh, my gosh, look how good the Leafs are. I'm like, yeah, because they're playing Belleville. <laughs> if the Leafs playing Belleville, of course, they're going to win like four or five nothing. But I mean, that's just how it is. Like you mentioned, it's more or less to see who can get their way into the lineup more or less for, oh, look, Matthews is going to be on a 75 goal pace this year because he scored three times in the preseason. No one's really care about that. Oh, man. But that, that's just how it is. Right, Janner? I put a lot of stock and I guess I, not a lot. I put the most stock into goaltending. If a goalie has a great preseason, now I'm going, okay, maybe he's going to contend for a backup role, especially if it's a younger guy. Yeah. And also, if they've done a bad preseason, you can go, hey, they are a far ways away from the NHL. That's, I guess, maybe 1% was a little lower, 0%, whatever I did say. I think goaltending is probably something you can assess quite fairly. But again, they're facing AHL slash depth NHL shots. Once it comes to the regular season, that just gets ramped up. The shots come in harder, faster. The passes are better. It's still a different game. But yeah, sure, for some of those young goaltenders, I, I do put some stock into how I think about them. Yeah, it gives them an opportunity to wear their team's colors. That's why some, you know, you watch the prospects tournament. I watched it in Traverse City, listen to Ken Cal and Todd Crocker. It's like, oh yeah, these are cool. And But it's like, okay, well, we may see these kids. Who knows? Uh, but we have been chatting up here with Cody Jansen of World Hockey Report. Breaking news on World Hockey Report. It happens, guys. You have to follow them to figure it out, though, at World Hockey RPT. Don't let someone else retweet them. You retweet them yourself. Go on there, at Janner31 underscore on Twitter as well, if you want to follow Cody himself. Janner, it's a pl- always a pleasure talking to you. I know we don't get you for long, but hey, be- something's better than nothing, right? Hey, I, I try to do my best here. No, no, I appreciate you, man. Always, uh, always enjoy listening to the show, too. Thanks, Janner. You get back to work, man. Have a good one. That was Cody Jansen from World Hockey Report. You know, it's funny when Cody's talked about the the young goaltenders getting shots and and whatnot. One story that always I always find hilarious when it, when I remember goaltenders that get their first NHL action because now most of the time, nine times out of ten, the first NHL game for a goaltender is you know a regular season game, yes, but typically he does play in the preseason. I remember seeing Jimmy Howard in the fall of 05, in September. He was wearing his main his main Black Bear goalie pad still. He just came up uh, out of college hockey for Maine. He was with, ended up going to Grand Rapids, obviously. But I remember seeing him. So that was his first experience. His first actual NHL game was during the 07-08 season. But you get your experience there. But to Cody's point, typically you don't see all the NHL shots. However, there is one story. Corey Schneider, after graduating from Boston College, his first NHL camp, coming out of college, was with the Vancouver Canucks team he drafted by. Ended up going to Manitoba, was an all-star there, great goaltender. As we've learned, I mean, obviously, you know, his career didn't quite come to fruition like many thought, but he was still a pretty capable backup there for Luongo, ended up getting the starting job thereafter. However, his he talks about his first, one of his first shots that he faced in a preseason game. It was against Edmonton. This would have been 08 or 09, I think it was. Yeah, 08 or 09. He was going up against him. That's when they had Sheldon Sure. Sheldon Sure, who could shoot, who was clocked at at one point, I think during one of those Oilers skills competitions, at 106. 
His first shot that he sees from Sheldon Surrey at the point, a left from the left point, just an absolute nuclear missile, blows it over his shoulder top corner. Welcome to the NHL, kid. So that's why I, whenever you say someone says, oh, man, oh, there's not much going Like, well, it's, that's why goaltenders are really the only thing you can watch out for, young goaltenders, because for a lot of them, getting their first pro experience is one thing. That's why I see Spencer Knight, and I say to myself, wow, that actually worked out, because typically that doesn't happen for goaltenders just coming out of college to all of a sudden be National Hockey League ready. I have a potential spam call coming in here. We'll keep the mute on that for that one. Um, in just a few minutes here, folks, we got a lot to get to today. we got news and notes and whatnot. And also here in a couple minutes, after we get back from a break, we are going to have Chris King on. The interview I did last Tuesday on the Kula Show channels, that'll be replayed here for you guys to watch back in full. Don't worry, checked it back. Not totally outdated. Uh, I did have a, we did not get to the news from the Lou Lamarell press conference that happened after the interview, but we got to his hear his take on the Islanders' upcoming season and how things went last year as well, including that new building, the UBS Arena, over there near Belmont Park. That'll be here in just a few minutes. Um, I, I'm going to give my take here on this whole kit and caboodle with Andre Denny uh, Skin. So, like I said, I'm not going to tell you what, what he did. You can look that up for yourselves. You all have social media. That's why you're here on 12-Ounce Sports. You have it on your phone. You have laptops. You have something to figure this out, what it was. My thing is the fact that I, I I don't understand why for for everything that has happened over the past year and a half, how is not everyone in the world seen that racism is not appreciated anymore? It's not cool anymore. It never should have been cool. It never was cool. Here we are, though, talking about a player who got into it with another player. Yes, was he of color? Okay, whatever. He's a hockey player. You get into it, what do you do? Make a stupid racial gesture towards him. And I agree with Janner on this one, guys. He should be banned for the rest of the season. No, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for, oh, it was, you know, it was instinct to the motion. The stupidest part was he went on Instagram. That's the best thing you can do, kids. Try to back yourself up. Try to, you know, try to get yourself out of Dodge. What do you do? Take it to social media. That's always a good plan. What does he do? He says something along the lines of paraphrasing here. Uh, um, you know, obviously, it's very important to make sure we're, you know, we keep it cool. And obviously, but emotions in hockey are different. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, am I supposed to? Oh, my goodness. If I get hit by a player and whatnot, I'm, I'm going to yell uh, an LGBTQ slur at him. Hell no. Guys, you remember how big of a deal it was a couple years ago when Morgan Riley got a, he thought he had a pen, drew a penalty and he turned back in the ref and he said, bleeping ragged, like to call the penalty. And how crazy it was when people thought he said a different word that rhymed with ragged. Guys, and trust me, had that been true, that Morgan Riley said that to an official, holy moly, would the Morgan Riley sweaters been burned in Toronto? Granted, there have been some people that have been like, what's the big deal? Because they're stupid and old. But that's the thing. Actually, no, there's still young people that are that stupid as well. Trust me, I, I encounter them all the time. It's great. But that's the thing. It's, it does not make it allowable, like, allowable. It shouldn't make it acceptable. Punish this guy to the fullest extent that you can. Kick him out for the rest of the year. Make him do community service. I agree with Cody. This guy should not be playing the rest of the season for the, in that Ukrainian Hockey League. If you are willing 
to make stupid gestures, stupid motions, and just try to say something along the lines of, well, you know, emotions in hockey get high. No, there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for time for stupidity, for saying something that's completely asinine. It makes your club look bad. It makes your teammates look bad because they are have to be in the same locker room with you. And I'm and to the P and yes, I if I was on the ice and I saw that, I would have stepped up and done something. I would have gone after him. However, trust me when I say, not everyone's staring at the guy when he's doing this. Not everyone's looking at Deniski when he made this when he did this gesture. Okay. Not everyone was going at him because trust me, I think that a few more people would have taken exception if they had seen it. I myself as a goaltender, I forgot to ask Cody about this. We wanted to keep that rather short though. I, when I'm a goaltender and I, there's a penalty, I just kind of skate around, stare at myself in the glass because I'm very egotistical that way. And I kind of just forget what's going on unless you know something else arises. So I can see why players may not have noticed that in the moment. That's the power of social media, of course, because we see this and we get to watch people be jackasses on, well, maybe not national television, but on the interwebs, we got to see a guy that should no longer be allowed to play the game of hockey. Hockey is for everyone. However, those people that don't want to be for everyone should not be the ones to be allowed to play this beautiful game. With that, we're going to head a break. When we come back, we will be showing you the replay, the fallback, the callback, the whatever you want to call it, the interview with Chris King when I chat with him about the New York Islanders the upcoming season, how things could go, how things ended last year, how the new arena looks, and what was it like broadcasting during the pandemic. We'll be talking about all that and more when we come back here on The Kill Show on 12 Ounce Sports. Why are we today at TKS on a Tuesday, guys? Because of our amazing guest that probably knows how to turn his mic on better than I do. He's done it for a long time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. The longtime play-by-play voice of the New York Islanders. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Chris King. Chris, how are we doing today, sir? Testing. One, two, three. Testing. <laughs> one, two, three. Is it on, Tyler? Is it on? You're, you are on and clear, Chris. I, I remember as soon as I started, I'm like, I can't hear myself think right now. What is going on here? <laughs> I, I got to ask you, Chris, from, from broadcast to broadcaster, uh, how many times has that happened to you when you've gone on the air, you come back from a break, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, nobody can hear me? Oh, yeah. It happens to us all. So, you know, you don't feel bad about it. You just realize, yeah, you know, it happens actually more for me. Uh, I do minor league baseball in the summer. So uh, in the summer, I'm engineering my own broadcast as well. And of course, I'm the one who's not pushing the button that turns my mic on. But uh, during hockey season, we have a dedicated engineer and our engineers are so good that never happens. So uh, during baseball, quite a bit during hockey, it's someone else's job and they make sure that that button goes on when it's time to talk. I was about to say, you guys have a good uh, good crew there over that uh, Hofstra radio station. I actually, um, it's funny, I, when I was telling my wife that I was doing the interview with you today, um, she said, I'm like, hey, isn't that the guy that sounds like he's an Islanders fan calling Islanders games? And I'm like, yeah, because we listened to a lot of you during the playoffs this past year, Chris, because there was so much, like for some reason, the Islanders always seem to play in the afternoon. And that's when I do a lot of my driving around. So I turn on the NHL app and I listen to the games. So we heard a lot of you guys. What was it like for you broadcasting during at least the playoffs when Nassau starting to fill back up, but just so many afternoon games, it seemed like. Yeah, but you know what, uh, Tyler, most of those games mean you're on national television, right? So that's right. a real, you know, chance to showcase, uh, you know, maybe folks who don't, 
follow the Islanders on a regular basis and don't really understand the incredible story that they had, you know, uh, this year, and, you know, closing out the Coliseum, as you were saying, which they did in remarkable fashion, and then, you know, coming within one win of the Stanley Cup Finals. So uh, it was an amazing ride, and I think, you know, the biggest thing for me, Tyler, was we went from the playoffs two years ago where the Islanders had a very similar run, but all of that was done virtually. I was sitting at, uh, as you mentioned, Hofstra University's radio station studios calling those games off a monitor, but here, you know, by the time the playoffs rolled around and by the time we got to uh, the semifinal round, the Coliseum was packed, you know, Pittsburgh was packed, Boston was packed, Tampa was packed. We got to go back on the road. So it just really gave everyone, uh, you know, all broadcasters an energy jolt to be back in those buildings instead of sitting in a studio that was, you know, hundreds and sometimes thousands of miles away from where the actual game was being played. How was it at first broadcasting this season? Because obviously, the at least in Nassau and a lot of uh, a lot of barns in the United States, the capacity started to grow little by little. But everyone pretty much started about the same, very little, if any, capacity. How was it going from almost an empty barn there at the Coliseum to literally that last game, that last home game at the Coliseum where they closed it down, where it was just madhouse, just just like it was back in the '80s and early '90s. Yeah, it's a great point, Tyler, and it's pretty much, you know, exactly what you said. When we first came back, there were no fans at all. So that was, you know what, you were happy to be back in the arena, but especially during intermissions is when I really noticed it, because during the games, you know what, they pumped in the PA sound, they pumped in the music, they pumped in the fake crowd, and it sounded like a hockey game. But during those intermissions, when I have a chance usually to walk around a little bit, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. It was so quiet. So uh, it was just eerie to walk around a completely empty building. And then little by little, you know, I remember the first night so well because the Islanders did a great job. The first night they were allowed to have fans back in, they, they did 1,000 uh, first responders. So those were the perfect people to welcome back in. And then it went to 1,600, and then it went to 2,400, and then it went to 3,000 and 6,000 and 9,000. And before you knew it, it was nearly the full capacity, you know, of the Coliseum, which is uh, still short in these days compared to most buildings. But um, you would have known there was only maybe a couple of hundred empty seats by the time it was over for COVID reasons. And it did sound just like, you know, the Coliseum of the old days and even the dynasty days, as you mentioned. So um, to go from absolutely nothing, I think our first 12 games were completely without fans, to go to a jam-packed building for those final, uh, you know, two playoff games against Tampa, which both had incredible endings. Game four, you know, Ryan Pollock makes what's going to be known as the save in Islander history now in the crease to, to win the game. And then Anthony Beauvillier wins game six in overtime to send it to game seven. And we didn't know it then, but that, you know, turned out to be the final game ever at the Coliseum. But anybody that was there, either one of those two games will never forget uh, just how loud those building, that building was and how amazing those endings were. You know, it's funny because I, I have a lot of guys that I talk to during the playoffs like, oh, see, Tampa's going to get it done tonight. And they were referring to game six. And I'm like, those fans will not allow the Islanders to lose that last game at the Coliseum. No way, Chris, was Tampa going to walk out of there with the Wales trophy. They at least the island. I knew the Islanders were at least forced to seven. It was going to be tough going down there to Tampa, but not a chance, Chris. And, you know, you've been there since that that building was erected. In 1972, when that first team first stepped on the ice, that the Islanders fans, whether they had to protest the game or not, the Tampa Bay Lightning were not walking out of game six as winners, right? And that's the feeling going in, absolutely, because you know what? They had, you know, they had been unbeaten and they remained unbeaten in game sixes in the entire playoffs. The problem for the Islanders was in the Tampa series, uh, you know, in the first two series, the Pittsburgh series and the Boston series, those series were knotted up at two apiece, and the Islanders went on the road and won game five. 
came home and closed it out in some of their, you know, most emphatic victories. I mean, a convincing win over the Penguins in Game 6, a convincing win over the Bruins in Game 6. The difference in the Tampa series was they go down to Tampa even at two games apiece in Game 5, and they get shut out 8 nothing. So, you know, they're coming back home off an 8 nothing loss. Here's this team that just absolutely steamrolled them two nights earlier. And, uh, I mean, we all hoped it was going to have that ending, Tyler, and we all felt confident because of the Islanders' success in the previous Game 6s. But, you know, if you're coming in off an 8 nothing loss, it's hard to have the confidence as high as it would have been as they you know, came home off incredible wins in Game 5s in Pittsburgh in overtime and in Boston, which they had a big three-goal lead, in, and then the Bruins got within one late. But, uh, yeah, you had the gut feeling they would pull it out. But let me tell you, the confidence was, was shook a little bit when the previous game was an 8 nothing loss to the same team you're about to play again. That, that is true. I do get that. And I, I, I tell you right now, by the power of Ralph Macchio, they, you guys were going to win that game, <laughs> game six. <laughs> but you, you go into the offseason now. We'll, we'll wait to get to the actual team first. Let's talk about this new little building you guys got going over there by Belmont Park, UBS Arena. I've seen the pictures. I've seen, well, obviously, we, a lot of us have seen the graphic art that's been the portrayal of what it's going to be. But have you been on the site yet? I know I've seen uh, Stan Fischler doing some stuff over there. Have you been able to stop by the rink yet? Yep, I've had three tours, Tyler. Uh, pretty much, you know, right at the groundbreaking, somewhere in the middle, and then my last tour, I think, about three weeks ago. So, um, you know, I've been there just to see the progress each and every time, and I'm just amazed at how much has changed each time I go back. And I'm sure I'll go back, you know, once or twice more before uh, opening night, which is November 20th. But uh, it's it's just a jewel, an absolute jewel of a building, and credit to the Islander ownership and management that, you know, took the best they could find in every other, not only NHL building, but they went to most NBA buildings, most football stadiums, most baseball stadiums, um, and they listened to the fans. You know, the fans told them the things they loved about the Coliseum, so they made sure to bring some of that in, but got rid of the things they didn't like and then kind of took the best of everybody else's building. So everybody copies from everybody else, but from what I've seen, you know, being in there and just knowing all the thought that went into the architecture, uh, it's going to be spectacular. It's going to be absolutely spectacular. Again, it opens November 20th. That's the good news. The bad news, the Islanders have to play 13 road games to begin the season, uh, which is an NHL record. No team has ever played more than nine straight on the road to open up a year. So they're going to be on the road uh, for 13 straight games. Now, again, they do get a lot of breaks. And there's a five-day break, a four-day break, a couple three-day breaks. So it's not like they're going to spend five weeks away from home. They'll get to come home, have some time with their family, cut it up into small chunks. Um, but that's going to be the big challenge. You know, what will that record be? Uh, after those first 13 games when they step on the ice at UBS Arena to face the Calgary Flames on November 20th. You know, it's so funny to look at that because you talk about the breaks, and we had Ken Cal on last week, and I remember I thought to myself, we were talking about how with the All-Star game and the Olympic break being jammed in there, now granted the Olympics, things could change, but at least that's the NHL's plan. If there's any silver lining for the Islanders probably having a jam-packed schedule later on down the line, at least they're going to be home for most of those games right well absolutely and that's the thing you got to then you take the 13 out right if you realize everybody plays 41 home and 41 road if you take those 13 out uh, let me do my math here quickly that tells me you got you know 28 at that point only 28 road games left and 41 home games after that so i mean yeah you got to take advantage of the fact that you know after you get through those 13 there are a lot of extensive homestands, and you talked about it, you know, that built-in break for the Islanders, it's, it's exactly three weeks between All-Star Weekend rolling into the Olympics, so they'll have a, a three entire weeks off, so certainly time to rest, and that'll come in February, generally right when teams, you know, start to make the big push in March and April for the postseason. So they've just got to get through, you know, that 13-gamer, which, again, on, on paper looks daunting, but when you see all the breaks that are built into it, 
It's not like, you know, they're packing a suitcase and not coming back for five weeks. It's nothing like that. They'll get home for plenty of time in between. One of those games is in New Jersey, which is barely a road trip. You know, they just bust on over and come back. So, again, even though it is, uh, you know, 13 games, the way it's broken up, it won't be nearly as bad as it sounds, uh, to be honest. Yeah, and that is the good thing. And obviously, going back to the Metropolitan Division, you play a lot of the teams that are within driving distance. Obviously, some teams like to fly, even though it's only a couple hour drive. Uh, you mentioned the Devils there, Chris. We'll probably be the last one here before we jump on to the, this year's Islanders team. But Travis Zajac retiring after 15 seasons, signs a one day contract. We talked a, bit, a little bit about on last night's show. But, you know, he was only there for a little bit for the Islanders. I believe it was 27 games off the top of my head, including the playoffs. But you got to see him just like at least, what was it, at least four times a year into the current schedule, but more before that because he'd been with the team now with the the Devils 15 seasons. Obviously, he just finished with the Islanders here. What made Zajac such a special player and why he could play so long? Just from your experience as mostly for the majority of his career being on the other side of the booth. Yeah, I think just, you know, everything that they got him for. The fact that, you know, as a center, he could do that. He could play wing. He could play the left side. He could play the right side. He did a little bit of everything for the Islanders. Obviously, he can kill penalties. Uh, terrific face-off guy. Great character guy. And, you know, when Oliver Wallstrom went down in, early in the playoffs, he was the guy who really came in and jumped on that third line with J.G. Pajot, and he played some terrific hockey. So, you know, they loved his leadership. They loved everything he brought. Um, you know, Lou likes the ex-Devils, too. Lou Lamorello, the Islander general manager, is obviously Kyle Palmieri has come back. They've gotten in, you know, Zach Parisi, who they've added to the lineup as well. They have Corey Schneider as, uh, you know, technically their third goaltender. Uh, obviously, Andy Green has been a terrific pickup on the blue line. So there are a lot of ex-Devils sprinkled uh, over this Islander roster. And, again, a, a big, you know, part of that is Lou Lamarillo's connection to these players and knowing exactly what they bring and what they're going to add to the room. And certainly, you know, when the Islanders needed a veteran presence, when the youngster went down in the playoffs, there was Travis Zajac to step right in, and, and the club never missed a beat. It's so funny how, because I, I remember I said to my, like a lot of people look at me and say, the Islanders, like they can't be good for that long. They have so many guys that are over 30. They have, you know, the Komarovs, the Clutterbucks, Martins and whatnot. But they have, like you said, that youthfulness kind of sprinkled in there. Of course, we can't mention, you know, we got to talk about Matthew Barzell. And you have younger guys that are coming through, like Oliver Wallstrom eventually. Casey Zekas is, I say he's one of the younger guys, but he's 30. But then you mentioned Anthony Beauvillier with that big goal in game six. That's just up front. I mean, Ryan Pollock's going to probably be the future of this team on the back end. But I like the fact that he's able, that Lou is bringing in older, you know, veteran guys to the deadline that he knows that are going to help in this playoff push. But at the same token, he realizes he can't give up the younger guys that are going to carry this team moving forward once those guys hang up their skates. Absolutely. And, you know, you talked about it. Matt Barzell's 24. Anthony Beauvillier's 24. Noah Dobson's 21. Uh, you know, Oliver Wallstrom's 21. These are the guys, you know, that are the youth movement of the club. But then you sprinkle in all those veterans. Um, obviously, bringing in Zidane Chara is going to push the average age up quite a bit at 44, the oldest player in the league. And Zach Parisi, who comes over at 37. But you know what? You have a lot of guys, as you mentioned, who are right in the middle, like Casey Sezikis and Brock Nelson and Josh Bailey and those guys. So um, it is a good mix of, you know, extremely older players, extremely younger players, and, and in the middle as well. And, uh, you know, right now I, I just really like the balance that they're showing across the four lines, across the 60, and obviously Sorokin. You know, we didn't mention him, an extremely young goaltender who uh, is going to have a, you know, a great fight on his hands this year if he wants to try to unseat uh, Semyon Varlamov as the number one goaltender for this club. 
That that is very true because he. I think Sorokin. I mean, whenever Varlamov seemed to slip up at all, and Sorokin could step in, and same and vice versa, and that's where you have a really good tandem. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just Barry Trot's system, but with the way Robin Leonard came out in eighteen nineteen, and the way Varlamov's kind of revitalized his career. Apparently, that's where goaltenders who need to revitalize their career have to go. At least that's the way things are looking there in Long Island. You mentioned Zdeno Chara there, and of course Zach Parise are two guys that. That uh, of course, Parise coming over from Minnesota after that buyout. Someone that Lou knows well. Lou drafted him when he was in New Jersey. Um, I got to ask you the big question here, and maybe we have to ask this when you uh, when you jump on the the press conference call with Lou here in about uh, ten or so minutes. Uh, what are these AAV values for these one year contracts? I'm looking at cap friendly right now. Char has been signed for a few days. Parise has been signed for felt like two weeks now, and there's still no contract value. What's the deal there, Chris? Yeah, that, that, that's a strange one, Tyler. I don't have an answer for you. And again, remember, for a long time, all the UFAs and RFAs that had been signed you know, weren't out there at all. Nobody knew what they were making until those numbers finally came through. And uh, I, I couldn't tell you, you know, what Parisi and Char are going to be, certainly on one-year deals. But as far as all the other guys are concerned, it's amazing that like, you know, Lou gets uh, flack for doing it the way he does it. If you think about it, why would you want anyone who you're potentially going to deal with to know exactly how much room you have left against the cap? The, the analogy I give it, Tyler, is when you play poker, what do you do? You keep your cards facing you. You don't show everybody else. By basically letting out you know, who you've signed and at what price, every other general manager would know exactly how much room you have left under the cap. And if you're trying to make a deal with him, that's information you don't want them to have. So I think you know, as we go forward here, more and more GMs are going to do it the Lou way, where you're going to try to keep this information off-cap friendly for as long as you possibly can until you make all your deals, and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. But to me, you know, as a poker player, you don't show everybody your cards. You keep them facing yourself, and you make everybody else wonder what you've got exactly, right? To me, that's the perfect analogy, and I don't understand why other teams feel they're compelled to let the whole world know what their situation is because it only hurts your bargaining power. Well, clearly, you never played poker with my wife. Um, but um, <laughs> no, uh, I, I tell you, I agree with you there because that does make a lot of sense because, of course, you know, when, you know, coming from if anyone ever watches Toronto, when JT was signed, everyone needed to know that he was getting a pay cut coming to Toronto. Same yep. thing when Connor McDavid. I mean, could you imagine if Jonathan Tavares, and I know I mentioned this, and it's not just because we're talking to the New York Islanders play by play guy here. But could you imagine if, if uh, well, Lou was one one of the guys that par- partially signed him there. Or no, it was it was Kyle Dubas that signed him right after Lou left and went to the Islanders. Could you imagine if Kyle Dubas waited two months with that contract value and didn't give it up until like the day before the season? Like how much social media would have just exploded with speculation? Well, that, that would have been crazy. It's true, but but again, as I explained, it doesn't make sense to me. Just because Lou's the only one that does it doesn't mean it's wrong. I, I think it's right. I think you know. I think you're going to see more and more people copy his model when they really sit down and think about it. What advantage is there to telling the whole world exactly where you are as far as cap space remaining? There's none. It only hinders you. So uh, I, you know, uh, Lou's look. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. He's the winner of the GM of the Year in back-to-back years for a reason, and, and he does things his way. He has his entire life. But to me, this is one that's a no-brainer, that if you're not doing it his way, I can't find the logic why you'd want everyone else out there that you're potentially trying to make a trade with to know exactly how much room you have left under the cap. That's a real good point. They do have, they're technically over the cap right now on cap friendly. However, they're lower, almost four and a half mil, but they still have to take off the six mil with the LTIR for Johnny Boychuk, which would give them a couple million dollars. So uh, that's where they have right now. I, I, I remember when I heard about the Chara signing, the first thing I thought was, all right, Lou, what you got here? 
That's what, you know, because I just try to figure out because obviously Chara is on the back nine, if not playing on 17 right now, Chris. <laughs> what what do you think? And I, I mean, shoot, you were there when when big old Chara stepped on the ice when everyone else was around, you know, maybe six foot one, six foot. And all of a sudden here comes this behemoth stepping on the ice there at the Coliseum back in the 90s. What do you think that Chara can bring now to this hockey club? And from what do you knew about him when you kind of saw him back in his early days in Long Island? Yeah, I mean, Tyler, what I think he can bring now is a veteran presence on that blue line. And again, I know he's 44, but I know him extremely well. As you said, I was with the team when they drafted him back in 1996. He played his first four years in the league as an Islander. And I got very close to him, and I kind of stayed in touch with him over the years. So um, here's this guy who's 44, but he's in shape like he's 24. Um, six foot nine, you know, over 250 pounds. He's got that incredible reach. Uh, he doesn't have the 108.8 mile an hour slap shot that he used to have the all time record, but he still can bring it. Um, he's going to do a terrific job on the penalty kill. And you know what? The Islanders' biggest need was a left shot defenseman. They had to send Nick Letty to Detroit for cap reasons, the same way they lost Devon Taves, you know, two years ago to Colorado just because of cap reasons. But going into this week's camp, their glaring need was a left shot defenseman. And suddenly here's this guy in Zdeno Chara who's won a Stanley Cup, who's won a Norris Trophy, who's won a Mark Messier Award. I mean, 14 years he was the captain of the Boston Bruins. Uh, you know, this is the guy, if he's out there, you've got to bring him in. So, you know, kudos to Lou for getting it done and really, you know, settling him into a perfect role. They're not bringing him in here, Tyler, to be a one, two, or three. They're bringing him in to be a four, five, or six, and he's perfectly suited for that role. So, um, as you, you mentioned, I go way, way back with him to the early days. And, uh, you know, just uh, when he arrived on Long Island, he was so raw. He was so big. Uh, you know, he was just like there was so much attention drawn to him immediately as the tallest player in the NHL coming to the Islanders in that 96 draft, and he handled it so well, and uh, I was just so proud to follow his whole career, and he was, you could just see the look on his face when he held his press conference, you know, just saying, hey, I've come full circle now, I've come all the way back to the place where it began, and uh, like you said, it's hole 17 or 18, but you know Z, he might just say, hey, let's go to the 19th hole and, and keep it going, right? Go all Caddyshack on him there. Yeah, you know, I, I I like this Islanders team. I I'm I'm getting ready to do my locked on uh, predictions here for the season, and it's hard for me not to say that this team has a shot to take the Metro. What is the ceiling for this hockey club, Chris? What are the expectations heading into the 21-22 season? It's take the next step. It has to be Tyler. I mean, that's the thing. You know, I think that's the biggest difference for the Islanders going in this year. Is in the past they certainly surprised some people. Maybe, you know, two years ago, that run to the conference finals, a whoa, hey, here's a team that, you know, nobody expected to be there, and there they are again. And then last year, even going into the season, a lot of people had them missing the playoffs, and yet they go back and they go to the same exact spot and take it a game further. So, you know, look, back-to-back seasons, they've been down to the final four. Back-to-back seasons, they've lost to the eventual champion, Stanley Cup Lightning. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning uh, lost the Stanley Cup winner, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And this year, they lost Game 7 one nothing in Tampa on a shorthanded goal. So they're one goal away from the Stanley Cup final and a team that really didn't scare anybody in the Montreal Canadiens on the other side. So it certainly was, you know, disappointing. But I think the fact that, you know, you add the Parisi element, you add the Chara element, and otherwise you're bringing back exactly the same team, really no other changes besides those two. Um, You're going to get a healthy Anders Lee back. Here's the guy that, you know, was your leading goal scorer for four years. He missed the entire playoffs, a 40-goal man in the past. Um, and you're going to get an, you know, uh, Ilya Sorokin now with that rookie season and learning English and the North American rinks behind them. I just see it, you know, as an upside that they might be the team to beat right now in the Metro. And I can't see anybody that would give you an argument to say why they would take a step back when the roster is improved 
And again, the, the Noah Dobsons and the Ilya Sorokins now have that valuable experience under their belt as Noah goes into his third year and Ilya into his second. Oh, man. The, the Metro, I always call it the monsters of the Metro because they'll they'll find a way to have five teams go to the playoffs, especially with the Eastern Conference back to normal the way it is. The Islanders, they have the tools. And I'm expecting, I mean, that's like you said, all they have to do is just keep climbing up and let's see how they yep. go here in the brand new, beautiful looking UBS arena. Maybe I'll convince the wife to make a New York trip this year. We'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> We have been chatting up here with Chris King. Chris has got a duck on over. He's got to go ask Lou Lamarilla how much he's paying Zach Parise this year for us. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it for you, Tyler. I'm telling Tyler wants to know. Tyler wants to know, and then Lou and I'm going to have three guys with suits knock on my door tomorrow, and I'm going to have ask have, ask you a question, Chris, on how these people got my address. <laughs> uh, Chris, thanks for stopping in once again, man. It's been a pleasure as always. Best of luck to you this season. We'll catch you on down the road. Uh, thanks, Tyler. It's always great talking hockey with you. Welcome back to the Kill Show, everyone. Tyler Kuehl here, the inside of the insiders. Thank you once again to Chris King for taking the time last week to chat with us about the New York Islanders and, of course, for Cody Jansen for always being a beauty and jumping on when he can. He's really... When I, I, when I say get back to work, I mean that in literal sense. He's actually working right now when he comes on our show. He just finds a little bit of time to jump on, which I can't say is bad, as a bad thing to do. Simply because of the fact that I actually did that uh, a couple times, actually, with him for World Hockey Report. A couple of his uh, midday shows, you catch World Hockey Report, around 10 a.m. Eastern time. So when Janner wakes up in the morning out there in Alberta, I literally will get up and I was doing my, my I was working at the radio station. Next thing you know, he's like, hey, uh, you want to come on the show today? And I'm like, sure, why not? Let's have some fun. So I was awkwardly in my, not this studio, I was in my works, uh, radio station studio. What I would love to do is I would, I, it's funny. I, I keep telling my boss, I'm like, you know, I really don't have to show up to work here, right? And like, I shouldn't have to. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I have all the equipment here. I have my, as you can tell, I have a nice microphone. I have a mixer. I have all the equipment to make it work. I can work from home. Why can't I stay home and just work from here? Because I don't have to deal with angry phone calls. That'd be fun, right? Getting the chance to just kind of sit there and just do nothing all day and sit here and talk to you folks. I, oh my gosh, especially since the wife's like sleeping half the time, I could just sit here and talk to you people all day long. Doesn't that sound like fun? We're not going to talk all night tonight. Don't worry, kids. I have some stuff to watch tonight because, uh, well, you know, it, for better or worse, I have stuff to do. I'm trying to think what I have to I have a couple articles I got to write. Not hockey articles. I do my stuff for M Live and call it good. Um, but no, I, I got some other stuff here and whatnot. So uh, don't worry. I, I I'll keep you guys cozy here for the next probably forty five minutes or so. Um, let's get to some news that we have here today. So I, I know it's feel I feel weird doing this angle because I looked down at my notes. I'm like, you can see me just like look up and down. People on the podcast are like, we can't see anything, Tyler. I'm like, listen, listen. Um. We do have an announcement here at the end of the show I have to make, uh, for better or worse. Yes, it has to do with the show, obviously. That's why I'm making an announcement here. Uh, the Seattle Kraken, like I said last night, hosted their first preseason game in their franchise history. First time you get to see the beautiful Kraken sweaters on the, on the, on the ice. Yeah, words are tough. Uh, Riley Shan got the lone goal, the first goal, excuse me, of the game. They won 5-3 over the Vancouver Canucks. Tinky-winky! 
make an immediate impact with his new hockey club. I'm interested to see how much he time how much time on the ice he gets because this is a team that has good goaltending. Drieger and Grubauer back there. Good defense. Mark Giordano leading the crew. And up front, boy, you hope Alexander Venberg pulls something out of his keister because, boy, if the similarity between Vegas and Seattle shows anything is that this is a hockey team that you're wondering where the goals are going to come from because similar to what we saw with Vegas, saw Nate Schmidt go to Vegas. Marc-Andre Fleury go to Vegas. Goaltending and defense was okay. Derek Anglin was an experienced defenseman. I know Shea Theodore was not there yet, but they had some good guys in the back end. Not Lucas Spisa. Don't worry, I'm not going that far. But they had the talent. They had the ability. They had the right pieces to keep the puck out of the net. Who was going to score? Well, William Carlson, of course, who just never seemed to score while he was in Columbus and obviously goes into a wide-open Gerard Gallant system, and boy, it pays off 46 goals that first season. So we may see, I'm not saying I'm not saying Riley Sheehan's going to score 50, guys. I am not going to go on a limb that far. However, there's going to be someone that's going to shock people. It could be Venberg, but maybe that we're talking to it in existence. It may not happen. So, uh, a couple other things: St. Louis having, or St. Louis, excuse me, Montreal having some problems. Mike Hoffman out four weeks with a lower body injury, undisclosed during training camp, and also to make matters worse, last year's Hobie Baker Award winner and Cole Caulfield, my pick to be the gosh darn Calder Trophy winner. He's listed as day today after leaving an inter-squad warm-up game earlier on Saturday, I believe. I'm not mistaken, it was. So Montreal is already having the injury bug, as if Shea Weber and I were going to play hockey again, and Carey Price still out for who knows how long. Things are not looking good there for Les Habitants in Quebec. I, I really like to think that Montreal can get back on their feet, though, but the Atlantic division is going to be a lot tighter. We talked about it with Thomas Biano a couple weeks back. Montreal... There is a chance that they may miss the playoffs. I don't think that this is a conversation that people should be shocked that we are having here. But we'll just have to keep our eyes and ears peeled on that. Um, going to St. Louis, they made a little bit of no, a little bit of noise this week. Uh, so Doug Armstrong gets extended for five years as the general manager of the St. Louis Blues. Shortly thereafter, he trades Zach Sanford to Ottawa, gets Logan Brown and a 2022 conditional fourth round pick. From Ottawa, the condition in the pick is the fact that it gets removed from the deal if Brown plays more than 30 games in the NHL this season. So as long as Doug Armstrong doesn't think Logan Brown's an everyday NHLer, they're okay. Which means you could try to bury him in the minors. However, I just, I, this team's not going to be good, kids. This this team may struggle a little bit. Um, oh boy, oh boy. We have news uh, coming out of the Washington Capitals camp, simply because of the fact that I follow them now. Hey, it comes with a new gig. Uh, Dylan McElrath has been suspended two preseason games and two regular season games for an illegal check to the head. Uh, the Capitals won their game in a shootout last night. However, uh, I love how the fact that uh, like they're trying, like the Angel Department of Player Safety is trying to show that they're trying to work here. Why isn't my finger scan working? Do I have to do this? Okay, whatever. I'm trying to figure out who he hit uh, for, on Boston Stephen Fogarty. Oh yeah, listen. And the first one. Why can't you be this consistent during the regular season? Thank you very much, Hockey Twitter, for coming out and saving my butt on that. I don't understand the point of the fact that when a hockey team, like, I, I get it, it's the preseason, thinking to ourselves, oh, everything's going to take it easy and whatnot, and guys are going after each other's heads. Um, for those that don't know, on Locked On Network, the Crosscheck podcast with Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark, uh, I'm going to be on that coming up tomorrow. We recorded today. I'm going to be on it tomorrow 
on their show where I talk about the Washington Capitals, and I kind of joke that you'll never see a guy like Dylan McElrath get called up. Well, not now. <laughs> He's listed down there in Hershey. I talked about how Alexander Alexiev may be the next guy to really get called up from Hershey on the back end because Washington has a little bit of issues this year uh, in terms of, def- of defense with depth in uh, the defensive end. John Carlson is coming back from an injury. Michael Kepney is coming back from an injury. Dmitry Orlov is a liability at times. They could be an interesting hockey club, but I got to say positive towards them. Um, those will start up next Monday, uh, my lockdown show. We'll get some more of that here in a little bit. So, but in terms of the this move here by, by the way, by St. Louis, going back to the Blues here with Doug Armstrong, giving him five years, and I, I'm not mad because obviously Doug Armstrong has shown that he is a, a solid general manager. However, this team is obviously heading towards rebuild. Now, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, the fact that they are really buying in that Doug Armstrong can lead this team through a rebuild and back into the playoff picture. I'm sorry, kids. I don't see the Blues making it out of the Central in a playoff spot. It's really hard, unless some team really hits the pooper this season, to see St. Louis get in there. They have talent. I'm not knocking them for that. But you're telling me Jordan Bennington's a guy? You're telling me Billy Huso's going to come in when Bennington falters? Their defense, I love Tory Krug. He's a great player. Played for Michigan State. My wife loves that school, so I have to kind of like the guy, but he's a pretty good defenseman. He's not going to save their bacon. And the goal scoring, and obviously there's the whole thing with Vladimir Tarasenko, and there's still Ryan O'Reilly, but he's getting older. The Blues are going to struggle this year, guys. And obviously... Doug Armstrong is being entrusted with this hockey club to make the right decisions. Now, if Doug Armstrong is okay to stick it in there and hold it out with this team, it may work. Now, I'm not saying this is going to be a rebuild that's going to last five years, or it's going to take them five years to try to figure things out with the St. Louis Blues. But at what point do you say to yourself, if you're Doug Armstrong, saying, all right, I signed on for five years, and a couple of these are just going to really be tough to be a part of. Because that is a great possibility. The team last year showed that they didn't even deserve to make the playoffs. The gap between the third and fourth spot in that West Division, between Minnesota and and St. Louis, was the furthest between any three and four in the NHL. Out of all the four divisions last year, as bad as the North was. You're telling me that Montreal and Winnipeg were that far apart? No, they were not. You're telling me that... Oh, crap. Who is three and four on the other side? Uh, shoot. It wasn't Tampa. Tampa was two and three. Uh, you say you're telling me Tampa and Nashville was that far apart? Not really. Nashville made it pretty close. I'm just saying that St. Louis is in deep doo-doo. They're in trouble. Big trouble. If they don't figure it out soon. Doug Armstrong's willing to be a part of it, I guess. He wouldn't have signed on for five years. Some other uh, news coming around the league. Sammy Niku, who, going back to Montreal here, he got put on waiver. He got bought out last week by the Winnipeg Jets. Comes in for league men with Montreal. Two-way contract. You never know with this team in Montreal. You may need a guy that you can bring into the lineup, in and out of the lineup, send him to Laval, go back and forth, get his travel miles going. Obviously, Laval's not that far from Montreal, but just have a little bit more depth, a little bit more security, have a guy that's shown that he can play in the NHL on your defense score. Montreal needs it this year for sure. Uh, Cal Peterson got a really decent-sized contract given his stature in the league. Right-handed catching goaltender for the Los Angeles Kings gets three years at $5 million. 
Is he really that good? Uh, listen, I get it. He plays on a bad hockey team, and we've seen, like, Jonathan Quick, for example, when the Kings are bad there in his first couple of years, when he was wearing the very basic Vaughn pads and he used to walk out of the castle, he was pretty good, but he wasn't that good. Then again, the Kings weren't that good either. But then we obviously saw how good he was for a couple of years, and now we're back to square one with him. Obviously, the Kings are pegging him as their goaltender of the future, given the fact they gave him three years at five mil. Now, Jonathan Quick may play three more years, as far as I know. He doesn't show any signs of slowing down, but that doesn't mean he can stay in the lineup because, boy, Jonathan Quick has had some issues over the past couple of seasons. Can Cal Peterson be the guy for a long period of time? Obviously, they're hoping that the five million looks pretty small if the cap allegedly goes up one million each year, as Bill Daly said during NHL Media Week or the Media Car Wash a couple weeks ago. So it could look good, but I don't know. This, I mean, the Kings, out of the California teams, yes, the Kings look like the best team. But it's literally saying like, oh, yes, you may be the best team out of a pool of the bottom three teams in the division. I'm sorry, Anaheim, San Jose, L.A. Yeah, you pick L.A. There's a chance Seattle may go ahead of L.A. in the West Division. Pacific Division, excuse me. That's just kind of how far down the the California teams are compared to the rest. I, I'm trying to think of a time when this has actually been true, when all the California teams in the league were bad. Like, even, even when the Gretzky Kings started to turn downward, after the 93 run, the Ducks came in. They finished above the Kings, by the way, the expansion Ducks. 94 was when the Sharks made it to the second round. They also made it to the second round in 95 as well. Uh, 96. Oh, the Sharks make it 96. I'm not sure. Maybe that was the year they all missed the playoffs because 97, the Ducks made it. 98, the Sharks made it because of Mike Vernon. Uh, 99, the Ducks made the playoffs. 2000, the Sharks made the playoffs. 2000 was the year they started really getting good. Did, uh, did San Jose. L.A., I think, may have made it in 2000, 2001. I know L.A. did. They made it to the conference finals. Or no, second round, excuse me. They lost to Colorado in the second round. And then the Ducks came around, obviously, in 03. And then 06, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, I think, if I'm not mistaken. They made it. To, I forgot how many years in a row the Ducks made the playoffs. But it's been a rarity. Let's just put it that way, kids. When all three teams in... California were bad. I think that's one thing that's kind of a thing we should kind of discuss here is that not all three of them have been this bad since the Ducks came into existence in 1993. So with that, yes, I think LA is going to be the team that comes out of there if there is a team to come out of California. And obviously, Cal Peterson could be the guy. We'll have a wrong catching goaltender to be a star in this league, kids. It's going to be great to see. Another guy to watch out for. Um, at least in terms of the conversation, we talk about Jack Eichel. Brady Kachuk is still unsigned, by the way, with the Ottawa Senators. I don't know. We talked about it last week. It, it, this It's not as big as Eichel watch, but Kachuk watch, I, I know there's some Ottawa fans here, and that's a big deal. If Brady Kachuk doesn't come around board anytime soon, I, I'm not saying he's going to be missing a step. He's obviously skated this offseason, but he needs to be signed if Ottawa wants to be a competitive hockey club this year. Excuse me. I really, oh, gosh, there was an awful yawn right in front of you guys here on 12 Ounce Sports. I do apologize. I decided not to do coffee before the show today because I had coffee prior to my appearance on the Lockdown uh, Crosscheck podcast. So I thought to myself, I'll be good enough for the entire show today. And, well, you know, I, I knew I was not going to make it. 
the full two and a half hours today anyways. This is probably only going to be going until 7.30 tonight. I do apologize. Uh, but if I, listen, Brady Kachuk's going to haul up for as much as he can. But yes, if you are a Pierre Dorian, you are sitting in there thinking to yourself, all right, how can you make this work? Because eventually you have to sign Stutzla. And we mentioned this last week too. I know we're going back at it, but the conversation has to be, all right, Pierre, or excuse me, Pierre, Pierre to Brady, Brady, I know you want money, but do you want to win here? If Brady does not want to be an Ottawa Senator, that's an easy conversation to have. Give him a couple more games, because I think at this point now he could get traded, that his ELC's done. Let him go. Or not let him go, but like move him along. Like move him to someone else that would want to pay top dollar for him. Unless you're like you're trying to win. If Brady Kachuk wants to be an Ottawa Senator, then make it work, and I think he should understand that as well. If he just in it for the money, then yes. Give him a couple of years or give him a year and boot him out of there and tell him it's the next guy's problem now. I'm sure everyone in Ottawa right now is saying to themselves, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? We can't lose Kachuk. I say that now. I actually like halfway going off screen now with this new kind of setup we got here. Um, by the way, if you're if you're listening to this, thank you very much. But if you're watching this and you say, oh, crud, I missed the interviews early with Cody Jansen and Chris King. It's OK. Don't panic. Don't panic. Make sure you check it out on the Kilo Show YouTube channel or your favorite podcatcher as well. We're on all those. The Speaking staying in the province of Ontario, the Toronto Maple Leafs heard last week, as long as well as the Toronto Raptors, that they're going to be allowed 10,000 fans in attendance at Scotiabank Arena this season. They also added the fact that they're increasing the capacity at the Sky Dome, excuse me, Rogers Center in Toronto. Uh, that's two big things. One, because the Jays right now are one uh, before game for action starts tonight. They're one game back of a wild card spot right now. Uh, that is obviously yeah, by the time you listen to this or watch this, that could totally change. But also the fact that for Leafs fans, where literally they only had one game with fans last season, the 500 there in game six, game seven, excuse me, didn't help one darn bit. Worst game of the season. Now that they're going to have at least half capacity. And something, we mentioned this before, we talked about this during the playoffs last year, how loud it sounded, even when there was 7,000, 8,000. Now, yes, there was the alleged 8,000 at the Bell Center during the finals. There was like 15,000 people. But even in the earlier rounds, when there was only a few thousand there, when there was only 5,000 in the conference fi- the semifinals, excuse me, against Vegas, it still sounded pretty loud. Let alone now be going to half capacity at 10,000 people at Scotiabank Arena. It's going to make a difference for this hockey club. Now, I know that the. I know you probably people are asking, have you got have you seen the the all or nothing documentary, the Toronto Police documentary put together by Amazon? And listen, I'm going I'll be honest, guys, I'm going back and forth on it. I really don't know if I want to listen or watch it or not. It's and not because of the fact that I know how it ends, because for those that watch any, any of those who watch the HBO 24 seven series they used to do for the winter classic, those were a, they're pretty cool. They're really cool to watch, but also because you knew the ending, but it was intriguing. It was week to week. They put this all together in one big series after the entire season was over. And what I have received was it was a, Rated R version of the old blueprints they used to do. The Leaf blueprints they used to do. Now, people, I say that now, I'm like, Tyler, they still do them. It's like a web series. Well, what they used to do, the Leafs actually used to do a 
Blueprint series on Sportsnet, if I'm not mistaken. It was on TV, and they were half-hour-long episodes, and they were the 15-16 season was when I think that was the real big year they had it because I remember that year because that was the, that was the year uh, Ryan was traded, FNUF was traded. That was the last year of the, the old core, if you will, prior to the young kids really getting called up, and they did a lot of cool specials. And from what I learned was it was the fact that it was a lot of, from what I've heard from this all or nothing, is that you learn a lot about Sheldon Keefe and how he has a big potty mouth, how Kyle Dubas had a sit-down meeting with Mitch Marner before Game 7 with the camera in there, and the fact that, you know, the team failed. But I guess pe- some people say they wanted more. They wanted more from it. They thought the 24-7 series got a little bit more of a inside track than we saw with this series. I don't know. I may see it. I may have to get talked into it. I lo- I listen, the, the Toronto Maple Police, they're a, a franchise that has found a way to get good talent in the room, get exceptional talent in the room, all-star talent, and fail with it. Well, they want to point at specific reasons why they lost, how they lost, what what should have happened, what could have happened, if Alex Galchenyuk doesn't turn the puck over, if JT doesn't get knocked out in game one, if ifs and buts were Kane, that's what all of a Merry Christmas. Heck, if someone shut down Patrice Bergeron or Matt Fratton doesn't take a double minor high sticking call in the third period of game seven, the Leafs would have made, gone to the conference finals in 2013. That's my thing, guys. It doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't click with my head. I don't, I don't panic and I don't, Listen, I, I'll pull for the team. I'll buy pull for them. I'll watch them every single game. Hope they do well. And boy, if they win the whole, if they win that big old silver trophy at the end of the year, awesome. I'll be so happy. It, it's so hard. It's and I've I've talked to a couple people with this. It's like being a Michigan Wolverines fan in football. You hope the team does well. Sometimes they're talented enough, but they find a way to blow it in the end. But yeah, so you can go with the, oh, at least Michigan's won a national championship since 1967. Yeah, 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 I get that. Say what you want. Fact of the matter is, though, is that the Leafs are there. They have the ability to do the thing. At what point do you realize that they have more growing up to do than we thought? You can't you can't fast forward. A rebuild. You can't push kids that are unprepared to be prepared right away. And I, and I don't know. I really don't know. Is this, am I looking at this too far in the fact that the Toronto Maple Leafs are, I don't see not as good, but are the Toronto Maple Leafs similar to like the Washington Capitals? Like when they were, they were winning president's trophies, when they were dominating the league and they could never get it done in the postseason. Is it just because this is the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Leafs who are this epitome of hockey and they need to win because this is this is the hockey city, the center, the mecca of hockey in Washington isn't? Pittsburgh was not Pittsburgh was the was not a hockey town until Mario Lemieux came on board. Until Eddie Johnson and Co. decided to tank in 83-84 to get Mario Lemieux. That's my thing with this here. 
is that there's so much expectations with Toronto that if they lose, yes, it is the worst thing ever. But if they win, it's the greatest thing ever. While some other teams have had similar failures, it has not been as hard on them as it has been for these teams in Toronto. Yes, was it easier because those teams actually won rounds? Sure, absolutely. But the fact of the matter is that these kids, I can say kids because I'm younger than over half of this hockey club. I'm older, excuse me, they're younger than I am. I am older than most of the players on the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. I can say kids. They still have to find a way to win. And they still have a lot of growing up to do. I don't expect Toronto to win this year. I don't expect them to win next year. When do you think they're going to win, Tyler? I don't know. I'm not going to go with the whole pigs fly route because guess what? Pigs aren't flying anytime soon. I don't know what kind of genetic nonsense some guys are cooking up in a lab somewhere in Siberia, but it ain't happening over here anytime soon. So with that, I don't know about the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, um, so yeah. And here comes the fun part of the show. So, like I said, next Monday will be my first podcast, the Lockdown Capitals on the Lockdown Network. Really excited about that. Got a good plug in there with uh, Andrew Berkshire and them on the cross-check today. So I'm really excited to get that started. Monday will be the first one, daily content, Monday through Friday, only half-hour episodes. So you don't, so you'll hear, actually hear about the same amount of me as you would in a typical podcast, because eh? usually we do this for two and a half hours, so half-hour times three, that's two and a half hours. Yeah, I can math, kids, sometimes. Um, but with that, hmm, this is the tough part. So after much delegation, much discussion, I have decided that I have to step away from the Kula show. Next week will be the last one. I'm not going to say last one forever. Because that's that that's that's too much. Because you never know, you never know what happens. You never know what happened down the line. Maybe things open up, or I can do, do double time, which I would love to do. Um, but that said, I am just not able to do everything right now, and uh, so um, I'm going to focus on my locked on gig. I'm really excited about that. I the crew they've been a big helping hand with that. Um, you know, Kylie and Sean and all of them they've been very helpful. Reaching out to me, make sure I can get everything set up well. Not going to do video for the first little bit, so don't worry. You have to see this ugly face when you jump on over there to at Lockdown Caps, Lockdown Capitals. Um, but yeah, holy cripes, we've been doing this show, guys, for for over three years. I say that like, oh, it's such a long time. And some people are like, dude, there's been shows that have gone on for 20 years. Uh, yeah, I get it. But for for a show that literally started because two kids got a couple Amazon gift cards from their from their family, from Grandma and Gra- and from Grandma Tassel and Aunt Pat, we took the show, we started just doing... 10-minute videos, 15-minute videos. And then we did a 45-minute video once. I think it was our uh, Olympic preview. And we decided, you know what? I think we got to do a, a podcast. It's easier to do longer shows there. So 
you never know. Something may come around down the line, and we may I may go back to doing a podcast. It all just depends. You know, you know what's going to happen, right? It, what's going to happen is I'll be doing the show with uh, with Locked On. I'll still have time at nights or whatever when Kelly isn't working or something like that, and I'll want to do a show. And we'll come back like Mick Foley does, <laughs> what Mick Foley did in the year 2000. Retired three separate times, came back, still main event at WrestleMania that year. So we could totally be back in like three weeks. It'll be hilarious. Um, but for now, the plan is uh, to um, say goodbye here on the Kula Show. Next week will be the last one. We'll try to get some familiar faces on. Can't say who yet because I haven't reached out to them yet. Uh, a couple of them know that this was the plan, so I think they have an idea they may get asked. Um, man. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think we'll be getting Alex on. We may get him to phone in. We may have we'll we'll have to get him to phone in because simply because if I don't have Alex here because Alex was here on day one and he was the host of day one for the first few years and it, it's been different without him. I don't think there's any question about it. But yep, uh, I'm really bad at these things. Next week's gonna really suck. I think maybe it's because we get it out of the way this week that this is the last one. It'll be easier. Maybe I'll have someone with me to help me guide me home. But uh, so, yeah, next week will be the last episode of The Kula Show. You're on 12 Ounce Sports and, of course, the podcast form as well. I mean, uh, the, I'm not deleting the channel. You can still watch the old ones. You can, If you really are bored out of your mind, you can go back to see how bad our quality was back in 2018. When we were talking about the, well, you can't go back to the Washington Capitals one yet because that was when... We were doing, I think, no, yeah, we no, we had a podcast and we went to the podcast forum. So if you go to your favorite podcatcher and you scroll all the way down to 2018, you'll see our reaction to the the Washington Capitals when it's down like up. And also the second time that the Toronto Maple Leafs lost to Boston in Game Seven, only the second time. The third time was fun too. But if you really want to go back, watch the old videos. Uh, I remember there was the Ohio State one, or the, excuse me, the college hockey tournament preview one. When we we're talking about uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, there was they had their goaltender who had a pretty good year. I can't remember. Was it Sean Romeo? I think it was Sean Romeo was their goaltender at the time. I'm probably wrong, but uh, he was undrafted. And I remember, and my brother was like, "Of course he's undrafted. He plays for the Puke guys." And he flipped the bird off to the camera, and I just remember laughing. And I, well, I was stunned at first because. We were shooting it off of, we didn't have any software. Literally, the video was, we would shoot it on my brother's phone. We'd hook the mics up into this phone. And then we'd take the phone we were done recording, put it onto the laptop, trim it down to where we started and where it ended. And that was it. We couldn't cut it in the middle because we hadn't figured out video software yet. Um I know there's also the the cool podcast ones we tried to start doing for a little bit, Alex and I, when I would literally have to sync up the camera to the audio recording. That was always a nice three-hour process. took like 20 hours to get it uploaded because we lived in my grandmother's house, whose Wi-Fi was at about one megabit per second upload speed. That was great. It was fun. Uh, But yeah, those will still be there. All the old podcasts will be there. And so, yes, the... Oh, all those great episodes that I had back in the day, that we had back in the day, I can't say I had. Alex was such a big part of the show. I 
doing this show by myself is okay. I mean, talking to people and whatnot makes it easy. Bringing guests on weekly is fun. But it was always better with him. I, I think I can speak for that. And a lot of people that are probably listening right now are like, well, yeah. Now, some of you that probably are watching or listening that have only listened for the last couple months, they probably don't get it. Just go back to one of our old episodes. Half of it, no, half of it didn't make any sense. Um, but that was not the point. We just had fun and talked about it. And uh, yeah, maybe something to come down the line. But as of right now, this is it. Oh, man. Leafs and Habs are on right now. If you're watching, if you have NHL Network, go out preseason game and watch some hockey. I like I talked with Cody later earlier. I, I I'm okay with with listening to call or preseason hockey and watching it, but I don't take much stock in it. I don't get too crazy about it. But that is it for the now, as you guys know, the second to last episode of the Kula Show. Thank you all very much for watching this week's episode. Check us out at the Kula Show on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram for a couple more weeks. Follow me at tjku29 on Twitter. See you next week, guys. It'll be the last one. Bye now.